Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarie, Stathan Baird, and Stephen Means. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. We have a great podcast coming for you because we've already done a chunk of it. It's the 10 most important players of spring, and we have more than an hour already done. And now we're redoing the beginning of this because we're recording on Tuesday afternoon, and news happened. Master Teague, the running back, is out for the rest of spring. So Nathan, Stephen, and I are going to discuss that now, and then we're going to get in to our list of the 10 dudes, and then we will get to all of your tech subscriber questions. But let's be very upfront off the top about this, the Ozone broke this initially. They report that it's an Achilles injury for Master Teague. Ohio State confirms that he is out for the rest of spring. Nathan, how big a deal is this? I think it's a pretty huge deal. Just because looking at that running back room yesterday, you had two scholarship running backs available. and It was Master Teague and Steel Chambers, and now there's one. Um, it's Steel Chambers and some walk-ons because Marcus Crowley was already hurt, still coming back from the injury that ended his um, 2019 season, and Demario McCall had been moved to the wide receiver room in a more formal way, even than he was at the end of last season. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I've I've been one of the guys kind of pushing back a little bit on the the, the doom and gloom or the Master Teague has to be great. Now it's just a numbers problem. Um, Ohio State just doesn't have a lot of running backs, and it certainly has almost. Now, no running backs, at least for the spring. We don't know the severity of this injury. Sounds pretty bad. Um, but it has no running backs right now that it knows it can count on to win big games in the fall. Ryan Day had this quote on Monday when we talked to him. Um, talking about the running backs, he was saying, yeah, we're going to get Marcus Crowley back before the season starts. Then we have Mayan Williams coming in. Once we get to the summer, we'll be whole. But yeah, we're one injury away from a little bit of a crisis right now. But in the end, when it comes to September, we're going to be okay. Steven, is this a crisis right now? It is a crisis because, well, your injury away just happened. And it's also the guy who is the expected starter. So now you're down to steel chambers, just taking reps with the ones the entire spring with nobody else getting any type of experience at all until Maya Williams arrives this summer. And depending on how long Marcus Crowley is out and when he can return to football activities, it's really going to be Steel Chambers 
getting most of these reps and my, my Williams is sprinkling in when the summer starts. Let's try to have a two-level discussion on this because we don't know the severity of the injury. Ohio State is not announcing that. They're being closed-lipped. They have been since Ryan Day started uh, about this kind of stuff. So let's have a two-level discussion of, A, if Master Teague is just out for the spring, but he'll be okay for the season, or if this is a season-ending injury for him. And Achilles' injuries can be very serious. Um, We don't want to provide any misinformation, um, but we want to talk about scenarios for Ohio State. So let's talk about first, if he's just out for spring, uh, and he's definitely out for spring. He's not going to miss like 10 days. He's not practicing anymore for spring football. When we saw him uh, on Monday, he was doing all the drills and everything early on. And then when they did 11-on-11s, first team versus first team, at the end of practice, he was not out there for that. So obviously the injury happened somewhere in there. How big of a deal is it if he misses a bunch of reps? It was like, hey, you're the starter now. You were the backup last year. We're going to rep you for 15 practices in April. And now you're at the very least missing that. Plus, Crowley's out. And it just is a matter of, you know, it's going to be a little hard to be just more functional as an offense when you're running one versus one. It's going to be steel chambers. And then it's going to be some walk-ons in there. If it's just for spring, what does it mean for Teague and Ohio State? It's... Still a net negative to not have him in there for the spring. It's somewhat negated, like you're saying, by the reps now that Steel Chambers gets, that potentially, I guess, Demario McCall gets if they decide to move him back into that room after just moving him over to the receivers. Um, that does offset it a little bit. You do get those guys some extra reps and get them to improve or you know maybe boost their development in some way that way but it's still a net negative because master teague still needed to develop master teague did some really good things last year but there were ways he needs to be a better running back ryan day's been pretty upfront about that this has obviously been a topic of conversation anytime we've talked to ryan day since the end of last season and as much as he has been complimentary of master teague he also has pointed out hey he hasn't done this against first string Big Ten defenses. He hasn't done this. Um, and when we did see him against some situations late in the season where he was going against those kinds of defenses, he wasn't all that productive. So there were questions to be answered, and I think he needed this spring to uh, answer them for himself, answer them for the team, but also just have another. He's still a, a young player, and to miss an entire spring at this stage of your development is never a positive thing. All right, let's move on to the more serious scenario. And again, Ozone reporting, it's an Achilles injury. Achilles injuries, I mean, we see these, you see these in sports. They're, mm-hmm. they're a big stinking deal. It's usually a tear. It's a pop. It, yeah. So we don't know. We don't know, but we have to consider the possibility. Um, it's not, you know, this isn't a hamstring. Right. This isn't a, this isn't an armpit. You know, this is like a. Well, I mean, even a hamstring is, is potentially a lingering thing that causes. Yeah, but this is, I mean, if this right. is serious, this, I mean, you know. It's surgery. It's. So we don't know. But if Master Teague doesn't play this year, we actually had a lengthy discussion in the original podcast that we've done a big chunk of. Um, and we're going to do some adjustments to that. But, Stephen, you were making the point in that original discussion about you think Ohio State can win a national title with their running game just being okay. You mm-hmm. don't think they have to have a great tailback. Because Justin Fields is part of the run game. But So we, we don't even mean run game. We mean tailback. We, need, we mean guy you hand the ball to that isn't yeah. Justin Fields. If Master Teague does not play in 2020, how much does that affect Ohio State's chances to win a national title? It affects a lot because now it's not like, okay, it's just going to be okay. It like the floor just dropped so many levels because like 
you know, Steel Chambers doesn't have really, at least Master T got a little bit of experience. Steel Chambers doesn't have any experience. Demario McCall has bounced back and forth between the running back room and wide receiver room his entire career. And even whenever Marcus Crowley comes back, he still really doesn't have any experience. So now you're dealing with a guy who, some guys who are probably going to be taking reps with the twos and the threes. All of a sudden, they're taking reps with the ones, and they really don't have a lot of time to prepare. Other than Steel Chambers, they don't have a lot of the time to prepare to be, to be able to play in week one because a lot of these guys are hurt. Well, I mean, Marcus Crowley, Ryan Day said there's no worry about Marcus Crowley being back for the season. Right. August, you have a month. Yeah. They have a whole month. I mean, like, you know, spring is very, very helpful. But, you know, you still have all of August to get ready for the season if you need it. I'm surprised by your answer, Stephen, because, again, we're going to, like, delete the conversation we have, and we're having it now. Mm-hmm. But you were pretty strong on the idea of you don't need a great running game, but you think that it's that much of a projected drop-off from Master Teague to anyone who is behind him. I do. Like, like, it doesn't have to be great. It has to be at least, like, it has to exist. And I don't know how much that is going to exist week one, week two, when you walk into that Oregon game because you're putting like a sophomore or a guy who's been, it's either a sophomore or a guy who's been bouncing back and forth between two rooms as you're starting running back. So Master Teague last season had 135 carries for 789 yards. That's a 5.8 yard average. That's, that's a good workload. He's been out there. He understands what it means to be a Big Ten running back. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the discussion about Master Teague, though, was about the idea of, well, we're not sure how good he's going to be. And and Marcus Crowley, as we get into this list of the 10 most important Buckeyes for the spring, which will follow this discussion, Marcus Crowley's on that list because Marcus Crowley is a guy that our tech subscribers thought, well, maybe maybe he can supplement Master Teague. Maybe he can pass Master Teague. Um, I'm having a little trouble, like, fitting up everything of, like, you know, a lot of people were master with Master Teague. They were worried was he going to be good enough, and thinking, well, maybe the guys behind him are going to be better. But now that you're thinking about the idea of not having him, is it setting in of like, man, actually, in the in the end, we actually were much more confident in Master Teague just because at least he's played. At least he had 135 carries last year. These other guys haven't even been on the field. I think Ohio State has the benefit of always being able to say the guy behind the guy starting might be better. Until the guy who's starting is not available and you don't have the option of saying that. Now you actually have to like rely on that guy behind him. Nobody, well, actually that's, that's, there were people early last year who were wondering whether Master Teague should take carries from J.K. That that was, yeah. So like it's, which was insane. It it was insane, but it was like, People were having that conversation because Master T was running well until you realize, oh, yeah, it's against second stringers or against a tired defensive line. As I pictured Ohio State's 2020 running back situation, I, I did always picture Master Teague at the top of it. However, as I said on this podcast, as I even wrote a piece about, I thought that there was room for this offense, for Ryan Day, for his coaches, his coaching staff to get kind of creative with this and be able to use other guys in a more limited role, but try to maximize what they can contribute. Obviously, Damari McCall is, is potentially a, a, a unique skill set to bring to the backfield. Chambers and um, and Crowley are, are a little bit more similar and, and maybe a little bit more like Teague in, in some ways. But I think that there is some kind of a mix that you can come up with rather than having to rely on one guy. However, yes, because Teague had done some of the things he did on the field last season that we saw – Again, even if those were in second halves of blowout games, that there was just a confidence level that you had in him coming into this season. So here's here's where I'm going to come down. Let's let's 
let's do two things. Let's do Demario first. How much do you think Demario McCall can be or should be part of the solution to this problem if Master Teague can't play? When we saw Demario McCall on practice Monday, he was lining up in the slot. Ryan Day said he could move back and forth, and Ryan Day seemed very enthused about the idea of we're going to find a way to get Demario involved with the offense. How much can he be a solution at tailback? I think he, if if Meister Teague cannot play at all, and I guess the other caveat is there, we don't know for sure what Marcus Crowley will be. I mean, I think he'd have to be involved in some way. I, he's not going to be like a 15-carry-a-game guy, but I would see him being involved in some way in the offense and to a greater degree than he would be if Master Teague were back there. I, I, I will say this. So they had Demario McCall as the number two running back at this time a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into spring, Tony Alford said, we're looking at Demario McCall as the number two running back. And then it just didn't work out, and Master Teague took that job. I just don't think in the end that Demario is like a between-the-tackles, hand him the ball on first and ten, and just have him run into the line kind right. of running back. I think he is a guy that you use in different ways. So but That's I, kind of how I'm answering that. I think that, he yeah. can be part of it. But that's not what you need. You need a running back. Like right. you need, like you don't need a wrinkle. You need a guy to hand it to. So I don't know that in the end, Demario is a huge part of the like down to down solution. Can he spell somebody for a series? Can he come in, you know, on on second and nine, you know, in certain situations? Yeah, I don't know that he's going to be a guy who's going to figure things out as a between the tackles running back. Marcus Crowley is a guy who. Played, I think, six games last year and then was injured. He played one, two, three, seven four, games. Seven games. So I, I want to focus on his last game, the blowout of Maryland on November 9th. The reason that people think Master Teague maybe could be the number one running back is because he picked up yards in garbage time, right? That's where all the Master Teague confidence comes from. Crowley did the same thing. Crowley. Eight carries for 82 yards, 10.3-yard average, and a touchdown against Maryland in the last game he played before he got hurt. I think this, we've covered this numerous times, is this running back room is not where it needs to be. How would you, in your head right now, the difference between a world where Master Teague is the number one running back and Marcus Crowley is the number two running back versus a world where Marcus Crowley is the number one running back and... Steel Chambers or Mayan Williams is the number two running back. How much of a gap right now would you think there would be between those two scenarios? I, I guess I see what the example you bring up is fair. I would say that Crowley also was coming in even later in games. I do think there is a difference between comparing those two productions and, and Teague doing it over multiple games over an extended period of time. And, and even getting some trust early in games at times to spell J.K. Dobbins in a way that Crowley and Chambers did not. So I still, I still do see a difference between Teague at the top or either Chambers or Crowley at the top based on what I have seen so far. And we're not going to get a chance to see Crowley again in any significant way until August at the earliest. I think there's a gap. And the gap is more just maybe on like the number two guy than it is on the, on the number one guy if you're going to base it off the numbers of like who had better garbage time stats. But like you're going from like, I mean, like, it may, it may, like, if it's still, if Steel Chambers ends up being the number two guy, then like maybe you'll, you'll be okay because Steel Chambers is going to get every single first, uh, first string snap you can think of during the, during the spring. But like if Mayan Williams comes in here and like he, he's on, he comes in and, June and like all of a sudden that's your number two running back. I, I mean, I, that's not I don't, that's not good enough. 
Um, J.K. Dobbins averaged 6.7 yards per carry last year. Master Teague averaged 5.8. And um, Marcus Crowley averaged 9.5. I don't think there's much of a difference. There's not a huge belief in the fan base right now in Master Teague as a number one running back. I don't know that Ma- that Marcus Crowley, if he's healthy, and again, he's not playing in the spring, but there's every expectation he'll be ready for the season. I don't know that there's any reason to think that there's a huge difference between Master Teague as your number one and Marcus Crowley as your number one. I mean, just because Master Teague got a bunch of chances in blowouts last year. Marcus Crowley well, will have all of August to get ready. We're we're taking away. I think you're taking away the top end. Like we we in the previous discussion, we're talking about what if what if Master Teague is as good as J.K. Dobbins? And I said, well, then they're the best team in the country. I think maybe you're eliminating that. But the idea of like your run game is solid but not great. I think Marcus Crowley has as much of a chance to be solid but not great as Master Teague did. And then Mayan Williams or Steel Chambers, if you were going to give Teague 18 carries and you were going to give Crowley seven. And now you give Crowley 18 and you give Chambers or Williams 7. I don't know that there's a huge gap there. If their floor is going to be the exact same, they'll be fine. I mean, I don't, I, but I don't, I don't discount, know if that's the case. I mean, there's a reason that Teague was getting those carries when Crowley wasn't last year. He's I mean, older. He, yeah. Well, but he, there, not everybody who's older automatically gets a higher spot on the depth chart. I guess the other question to ask is, is how much separation do you see between Crowley and Steel Chambers? I don't know. I mean, like, there's a lot of stuff we don't know about these guys. I mean, Master Teague is a year older. There's not a lot of guys. I mean, there's not a lot of true freshmen that come in and, and do stuff. I mean, it was even like, with J.K., like, like Mike Weber, like, got hurt, which like opened up the door for him. Well, J.K. Be, was special. People. He was, yeah, he was. But that's like, a bad example. That's, and, a, that's and, and, a bad example. And, and, Ezekiel, and, that's a bad example. And the Ezekiel's a decent example. Ezekiel Elliott did nothing as a freshman. Nothing. Dontre Wilson did more as a freshman than yeah. Ezekiel Elliott did. Ezekiel Elliott wasn't even like the full time dude as a sophomore, and then he went nuts. The, the middle and end of his sophomore year. Um, J.K. was special. We heard people all spring camp. Okay. People were talking about, watch this guy, watch this guy, watch this guy, watch this guy. Landis and I did seven different videos during camp about J.K. Dobbins. And we started off as like, yeah, he might have a role to like, oh, my God, he's going to be the best freshman running back ever. I think the reason that Master Teague played ahead of Marcus Crowley last year is because Marcus Crowley was a true freshman. Marcus Crowley now is not a true freshman if he's healthy. I'm trying to, like, on a scale of one to a thousand, a thousand is like this greatly affects their national title hopes. You should look at Ohio State in a completely different way if Master Teague can't play at all. Versus one, there's no difference. Doesn't matter at all because they have guys behind him and they'll be fine. Where are you on that scale of if Master Teague can't play? Well, I guess I... uh... I'm in the middle because Marcus yeah. Crowley can't participate in the spring. Yeah, that's and, why. And also, they have every expectation he's back in the fall. So you're thinking he might be hurt for the season, or just because he's not getting the reps? He's just not getting these reps. And we just don't. Yeah, we just don't have a good picture of what he really so is. Give me a number. I mean, so I'm somewhere in the middle too. I mean, five hundred. That's not a number. Well, five hundred. Yeah. If, if, why did it go? First of all, why is it one to a thousand? Why can't yeah. it be one to ten? You could do because, one to ten. Because one to a thousand gives you. A, because if we did one to ten. And you said six point one four. I'd be like, shut I'll up. Just give you a round number. Wait, wait. No, but that's but the same this thing. Is a much. But, six but po- this is a greater. You sound weird if you say six point one four on a scale instead of six hundred fourteen. But if you say six hundred fourteen, no. that's a round number. One to a thousand. There's more. You can have a greater, wider range. So of basically, where you are. taking the even decimal though you guys out. both pick five hundred. 
500. Right in the middle. Well, 500, I'll pick, 508. I'll pick, I'll pick okay. 473. Okay. I'm like, I'm like 178. I mean, like, to me, now, the thing that it does, and again, what Ryan Day is talking about, we're at a crisis right now in the spring because we don't have bodies in the spring. It's going to muck up spring football. It's going to muck it up, and that's not great for anybody. Is a mucked-up running back situation in the spring going to keep them from winning the national title? No, I don't think so. It's about who's going to be on the field and how prepared will they be in September. I think there's an instinct. We're getting text messages as soon as this news started popping out after the Ozone reported it. People are starting to freak out a little bit. I think maybe people are more freaked out at initial reaction than they actually should. Because those ring football rolls around and like maybe it doesn't look at as smooth as it should be. Like then you're like, oh my god, oh my god. No, but it's I mean I think it's it, it's it, all it, about how good the guy is who's gonna be on the field. That's what it is in the end. The running back who's gonna be out there in September, how good is he? I think it's, for me, 508 today because, again, we're just finding out. So we don't know the extent of the injury. We don't know things about Marcus Crowley. We still don't really know things about Seal Chambers. There's a lot of just unknowns. I, I agree that that number, I think, can reduce as you get more information here in the coming weeks. But as as people will hear when they listen to the rest of the podcast when we were talking about this earlier, I was, I've been very much looking at this still as a collective thing and the running game being a product as much of – the other great elements of this offense as it is putting it on the feet of any one person in the backfield. The, the thing that it does is you're taking a body out of there. So it's like if you're before your depth chart for the fall at running back was scholarship guys, Master Teague, Marcus Crowley, Steel Chambers, Mayan Williams, that's, and then Demario McCall. So that's right. five guys. If he's out, now it's four. Now if Marcus Crowley gets injured, now it's three. Now, if Mayan Williams gets injured, now it's two. So that's a thing at every position because you get that much closer to like a walk-on having to play right. actual snaps for you, which is not anybody's plan. But also, you have five, one gets hurt, moving everybody on that list up a peg, I don't think is disastrous because to me, the fact that Master Teague's carries came against winded backup defenses who had been steamrolled by J.K. Dobbins. I know he got a lot of carries. I don't feel like I knew that much more about Master Teague than anybody else. Yes, he's played more snaps, but they were so that most of them were so, for lack of a better word, meaningless that it didn't provide a huge evaluation for me. And yes, he knows what it's like to be out there and experience matters. But I think there's a decent chance that Marcus Crowley gets a ton of reps in August and he's fine and he's ready. And then skill set, like skill set, ability, find a whole vision, get to the edge, break the play, run away. I think Marcus Crowley might be as good as Master Teague and then you're fine. I think the tricky thing is that um, Ohio State doesn't have a slow buildup once the season does start this year, though. They need someone who's ready to go for week two, probably to be able to beat Oregon, potentially. But And and people know I love Demario McCall. I just don't think he's a... He's no, it can't be your number back. one tailback. When I, when, no, and I was when you brought that up, I was again, I wasn't thinking of him necessarily as the number one tailback. I'm just saying that I think there there is a role he can play. It may be specialized packages, whatever, but I think there's a role you can get something out of him if you have to, if your numbers are so depleted in other ways. Yeah, but it's like one of those things. If they lost their number one tailback, what you're looking for is a new number one tailback. I think we all agree Demario McCall can't be that answer. No. So then you're then you have three candidates. Marcus Crowley, Steel Chambers, and Mayan Williams. If this is a worst-case scenario for Master Teague, you're going to try to win a national championship with one of those guys 
as your starting running back. And that goes back to the discussion we've had before about recruiting, about what they've missed on. You know, again, the idea that Brian Sneed um, transferred and left um, and that they miss on a couple guys. This is this is coming home to roost a little bit, but I think it, it was already coming home to roost. And so but you were I don't know that it's the end of the world. You could, you could like withstand it for a year. It just ma- not. But, but it, well, I mean, but the question, it's a matter of how good you think Master Teague is. If you really believed in Master Teague, then you're freaked out. If you had questions in, about Master Teague, well, okay, you have questions about Marcus Crowley. Well, you had questions about Master Teague anyway. So I would put myself on the questions about Master Teague side of things. Would you guys put yourself on the questions about Master Teague? No, you, you were pretty sure he'd be pretty good. I'd lean towards questions with Master Teague. Uh, again, just relative to how good he had to be in this offense, considering the other weapons they have, considering the offensive line they had, I, I was pretty satisfied with what I knew about Master Teague. All right, so we're going to get into this now. It's our list of the 10 um, most important Buckeyes for the spring. Um this is the new top on this. We've already recorded the, the 10 guys. Nathan said it was a good hour. He enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the best hours we've done. So we have some good debate and discussion in there, and so we'll get to that. Um, Marcus Crowley, there's going to be a brief Marcus Crowley discussion on there that we're not going to tweak. At the end of it, you'll see the tweak that we had to do, but get ready for that list here on Buckeye Talk. The 10 most important Buckeyes for spring football. That is what we are talking about today on your favorite Ohio State podcast, we watched a full two-hour podcast. Oh, not two-hour podcast. Hey. How do you watch a podcast? A practice. If we had people, if you invited people in right now into this office to stand and watch us talk, there would be at least six people who showed up. But it's a two-hour practice, two-hour podcast. That makes me feel better about a two-hour podcast. That's how long it takes the Buckeyes to do their work. That's how long it takes us to do our work. And our work today is the 10 most important Buckeyes of the spring. We have our top 10 lists. We went out to our tech subscribers and tallied their top 10 lists. And my definition of this, as I explained it to to Nathan and Steven and and explained it to the texters, is like the the person who you're not exactly sure what they're going to do, but what they do has a great effect on this Ohio State season, and we're trying to learn about them for spring football. So to me, like Justin Fields is not on this list. And Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers are not on this list because those are like returning guys who play at an All-American level. And of course, Justin Fields is the most important, but everybody's assuming he's going to be great. It's like the guy who who hasn't done it before or maybe is making a position switch or is going from okay to good or good to great or playing a little bit to playing a lot. So that, to me, is that how you guys put your list together? How did you – what were you thinking in your head about your requirements? I guess I'm thinking more in terms of guys who have a potentially high ceiling but also have a potentially deep floor, and we don't really know necessarily what we're going to get from So anybody who I think I know – exactly more or less what they're going to give Ohio State in 2020, it didn't make my list. It doesn't even have to necessarily be an established star. Mine is is ceiling, but also just, like, opportunity, like, based off of, like, whether or not there's a, like, dire need for that, like, specific position to step up and play at a certain level. And then also, like, but opportunity more than anything else, just because of some things we saw yesterday. So the one thing that... That and, and this maybe won't match how the texters did our list, but 
if we're talking about sure things, and I don't want this part of the discussion to go on too long, who are the sure things, at least in your own head, that led you to probably not put the guy on your list? So I think we would all agree on those three, right, that yeah. I mentioned off the top. Who else is a sure thing? Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are probably sure things. Uh, okay, I disagree with that. Okay. Really? I didn't, sure. I didn't put anyone on my list who was a full-time starter last year. I disagree with that. And here's why. Because there are guys who are important who are going to be asked to do different things. For instance, I'll tell you this as a preview. Sean Wade made the Texters top ten. Why? Because Sean Wade's changing positions. And Sean Wade is going from part of a great secondary overall to the number one guy in a very uncertain secondary. And he's not going to be a slot corner. He's going to be an outside corner. Pete Werner is making a potential position switch, right? There are some guys here... Like a guy like Fair Munford to me, he's a solid starter, but I didn't lump him with Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers because he's had some injury problems. You don't know exactly. And I think he still has room to go from good to great. So I had very few guys to me who were sure things because I think even Pete Werner and Sean Wade and Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson had 400 yards receiving last year. He might triple his output, but we don't know. He was a freshman, and he's changing position. So I think even Chris Olave to me, Chris Olave is now in charge of that room. He lost three senior receivers, and he's coming off one of the most devastating mistakes I've ever seen an athlete make in a big game. I don't know 100% is that going to hang with him. Is it going to motivate him to go to a next level? He changed his number. He seems to have a new outlook. So... I am I I am a I have a very strict definition of sure things and by my definition boy there are a lot of interesting questions. I guess the way I look at it is I see players like Olave, Garrett Wilson, Pete Werner. I feel like I know what their baseline is going to be. I don't have a lot of concern that those are guys who are going to show up on September 5th and just crap their pants and not have a good season like I I I don't I see those guys as being pretty stable guys I think that's you know I don't how good the secondary will be yes it depends on how good Sean Wade will be I think it depends more on several other guys who have bigger questions to answer than Sean Wade does yeah like those guys like my list is full of like they they had flash at times they flashed at times but like Garrett Wilson at a consistent level was producing. Chris Olave at a consistent level was producing. Like, those were cons- Pete Warner consistent guys in the rotation, while, like, a lot of the guys on my list were like, okay, they showed some moments where it's like, okay, this can be really good. But then also it just – that was it. It was just a little flash. And I would say, I mean, everybody can have their own definition. How much different do you think it makes Ohio State season if Sean Wade is good? He's all Big Ten. Or if Sean Wade plays like a top ten pick and is no doubt about it the best cornerback in the country. I think that has a big effect on Ohio State seasons, the difference between those two. I, I think it does, but I, it's a bigger difference to me if they don't find a third, or even right now a second, cornerback that they think is really good. How big of a difference is it if Chris Olave has 750 yards if he's a for Ohio prop, State, like, or if Chris Olave finalist, yeah, has then, 1,200 yards Well, but that, that somewhat depends on... Uh, that's the, I, I look at their receiving core as the collective yardage. I don't know that I put any of that on one particular person. I think I do. I, no, I, I think I do. Just because, like, I mean, I don't know. They got to the playoffs LSU's last year collect, without anybody getting twelve hundred yeah, like, receiving like, yards. Yeah, I mean, and they had J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, the, right. na- the national champion. But they've also got like twelve receivers this year. But the national champion, 
had like the collective, but it also had individuals with like thousand yard receiving. I mean, seasons, I, I understand what you're saying, Nathan, but like if one of these guys turns into Jerry Judy, then yeah. it's a huge freaking deal. And if nobody does, that affects them. Like and yes, to, to but, that like, point, who yeah. is it? But I also will say. To, uh, to your point, which I would agree with, is if you are in a position where there are multiple guys, where if you're not great, there's a decent chance someone else is going to be great, then I do think it may be lessens your importance as opposed to if you are in a position where, like, you're kind of the only guy who might be great, right? I do think that on the sliding scale of importance matters. And I guess I don't put it in a situation to, to keep using Sean Wade as an example. If Sean Wade is only Damon Arnett this coming season, only has a season like Damon Arnett did in 2019. I don't think that precludes Ohio State from being really good. I don't think it. He. I don't think he has to be Jeff Okuda. Get back to me when they play an All-American receiver in the semifinals of the playoff, and they're putting somebody who's at a Damon Arnett level on that guy instead of a guy who's on a Jeff Okuda level. Right. We'll, we'll find out. Damon, I don't agree with that. I mean, Damon Arnett was guarding like, a high-level receiver in the playoff, and like. I mean, he handled it. He did pretty decent. That's what I'm saying. I think Damon Arnett had a pretty good 2019. Yeah, Clemson won that game because of the under route stuff they were throwing to Travis Etienne and the slot receiver, not because of what the two outside guys were doing. Okay. All right, so you're fine. If you guys are okay with not having all Americans, because Damon Arnett's no, I'm not saying. I just no. You said you said you're fine. I'm saying that specifically, Sean Wade doesn't necessarily have to be an all American. Okay, I'm saying if he is an all American, that's a big deal. That right. greatly enhances their chances of being a little bit better. Right? No? Sure, sure. So so stars don't matter but, and all American status <laughs> doesn't matter. No, but sure that helps them be better. No. But you can say that about all eighty five scholarships. But if he's an all American, but the two other guys on the field with him are just complete duds, then like it's a matter of degrees. Right, but it's also a matter of who has a chance to be elite. Elite players win you national titles and who are the handful of guys in this team with a true chance to be elite and then Will they be elite? I I'm think that's a, that's an important distinction. But I think there's a handful of positions where we still don't even know if someone is frontline Big Ten caliber, let alone elite. No, I that's that. a bigger those. When I looked at this exercise, that was the bigger question. But for I me. will tell you this. So, and then we'll get into the exercise. And this is it's just like how you view things, but I think it's how you how you interpret what is important to a team. What is what gives Ohio State a better chance to win a national title? Twenty two good players, 22 good starters, or four elite starters, uh, 14 pretty good starters, and four eh starters. Four I, starters who are a problem. I think it probably depends on, not to get too far in the weeds, it depends on who those four, what position those four are. Okay, we know one's a quarterback, we know one's... They're at the most important positions. They're at, it's, it's, they have four All-Americans at quarterback, defensive end, cornerback, and receiver. And then they have four problems. Mm. At the other cornerback, the other receiver, one on the offensive line and one on the defensive line I think are I, actual problems. I think the first example makes it tough for you to even get to the championship, to get into the playoff. I think the second one makes it difficult for you to win the playoff. So I think it's – I don't know that either one is easier. I don't know either one is better. I'll take the stars. Okay. I think I – yeah – I think I'll take the stars. So I'm interested in guys who are who we know are going to be good. Are they going to be elite? That matters to me. That matters a lot. Okay. That matters as much. And again, it's at the position. It depends who else is there. But that's a huge deal to me. We're going to start. Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to do the list of our texters. 
as the top 10, and then we're going to say if those guys were our, on our own list as we go through this and then have a discussion about that guy. Then we'll double back on some questions. We've got a bunch of good questions, and we have a discussion. that I, It's weird. I actually was thinking about this myself. I wanted to. I literally was going to ask this anyway, and then Devere Posey, one of the great Ohio State receivers of recent time, tweeted about it. Devere Posey tweeted about he said, I wasn't even that hungry, but I went to Chipotle because my napkin stash in my car was on E. And I had to go to Chipotle and get my napkins. And I retweeted Devere and I said, I've never connected to a tweet more than I connect to this. <laughs> Love the napkin stash. So we have some napkin stash discussion coming up later. But let's get to football first with our texters. There is a tie for ninth. So ninth, 10th, and 11th. These are the three guys who tied. We asked for your top three from the texters, okay? So I didn't ask people to do a list of 10. Just asking people for three people, 30 different players got votes. And again, none, none for Justin Fields, none for Wyatt Davis, none for Josh, Josh Myers. 30 different people are, you're not sure, and they're important. That's how interesting this team is. If we would have done this like in 2015, like nobody would have gotten votes because it's like, well, I know what Ezekiel Elliott's going to do. I know what Joey Bosa's going to do. This team has a lot of talent, but a lot of uncertainty, which is going to make them very interesting to cover. Let's start with the tie for ninth. Also, I'll say this. Some people said all the DBs. Some people said all the defensive line. I tried to take those into consideration one way or another. So we know, again, some of the position groups that we've mentioned a lot, people are very concerned about that. We'll start with this. Seven Banks is one of the guys tied for ninth on the list of fans. Uh, Seven Banks was number one on my list. Did Seven Banks make your lists? I did not put him on my list. He was number five on my list. He's my number one guy. So I'll start then. In the discussion of what we sort of just said, is it the elite guy or is it making sure there's not a hole? Whoever is the outside corner opposite Sean Wade, Mm -hmm. right? If Sean Wade shuts down a side or shuts down a dude, but you can kill the other corner all day, that is going to be a problem. And so, yes, it's and we've kind of lumped Seven Banks and Cam Brown all together in a lot of this stuff. I separated Seven Banks only because when we watched practice on Monday, he was on the outside and Cam Brown was hurt. And I asked Ryan Day specifically, if Wade, Brown, and Banks are your top three guys, can one of them play slot? And he said, it's the discussion we have at every position. You try to get your best guys on the field. Marcus Williamson's running as the number one slot corner on Monday. But to me, it feels like maybe they would like one of their top three to be able to play slot. And my assumption at the moment is Seven Banks wasn't over the slot for a single snap that we saw. So Cam Brown was hurt. But now I'm guessing that maybe Cam Brown is the guy they're going to try at slot corner, or and we can get into this with the Sean Wade discussion later. They promise Sean Wade you're moving outside, but if it's like, man, we need you in the slot, I don't know what they do there. But that's why I thought Seven Banks, because I think he has a chance on the list of guys, and I've mentioned this kind of thing before, the Malik Hooker, Marshawn Latimer, Latimer, one-year starter, you're awesome and you're gone. Like you've never played before, you played once, and you were an All-American. I would put him on my list of guys who might do that. The watch list. The watch list of the one year. of the shooting the one star. And done. The one and done. And so I think he could not be that good, and they have a problem at the number two spot. And I'm only saying that because we haven't seen it. I think he could be awesome. I think his range is wide, his importance is large, 
and the options there are not huge behind him. So that's why he was number one on my list. Well, I put my list together, obviously, after we saw practice yesterday. And I think if I had put this list together before practice yesterday, he definitely would have been in my top ten. And after watching practice yesterday, he became more of an honorable mention just because, and I don't want to make too much out of one practice, but he did flash in a way that the other defensive backs weren't flashing. And it just, I, I have more confidence in him being at least a Big Ten ready starting cornerback. I don't know if he's going to be great, but if I'm Ohio State, I have a, a decent amount of confidence in Seven Banks right now being a productive member of the secondary. He's on my list for a reason that you already kind of skated over, and it goes back to the, the scenario of if, do you want like four elite guys and then like basically you have four elite guys and four duds. Well, if Sean Wade ends up being the elite guy and like Seven Banks is the dud, then it doesn't really matter that you have an elite guy on the other side because they're not going to go, go at him anywhere. They're going to pick on Seven Banks. So that's why he's number five on my list. He did have some moments. He picked off Justin Fields twice yesterday. But, yeah, like, he, if, if if in this scenario, if Sean Wade's or Jeffrey Okuda, he's got to be – like, then Seven Banks' floor has to be what Damon Arnett's was last year. We're like, okay, you got some pass interference calls, some holdings every so, so often. But for the most part, you held your own and you did your job. And, again, there's been times. I mean, Ohio State had a time where they had three first-round corners, that there's three corners. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, I, we're talking about it's a question right now. What if Seven Banks, Cam Brown, and Sean Wade are the next Marshawn Lattimore, Garyon Conley, and Denzel Ward? I mean, how game-changing is that for this team? That It goes from we've talked about the secondary all offseason. What if they're the best secondary in the country? Like, it, like it's such – and we don't know. I will say, Nathan, kind of easily impressed, man. You like so you saw seven, well, I said, you I, saw I, seven I, banks backpedal on four routes on the first day of spring practice, and you're like, oh, well, no, I think we're there. good. Then. I mean, you asked to come up with a list of ten. We easily could have come up with a list of thirteen or fourteen. He would have been on that list, and I think a week ago he definitely would have been on the list. I'm just saying, I'm coming from a. You're right. It would be obviously a game changer if Ohio State had three All Americans at corner. I think it's much more likely that they're going to have to win in spite of their secondary in a way they didn't have to last season. And right now, I think still, I look at it still more like. There are more unproven guys that are going to have to contribute to that secondary than seven banks. Also tied for ninth in this three-way tie for ninth, tenth, and eleventh, Marcus Crowley, who is not out there. Right. He is hurt. He is among the guys who are on the side. He's pretty hurt. He may not do much in the spring. At the moment, when we watch practice, there are two scholarship running backs working with the running backs, Master Teague and Steel Chambers. Demario McCall is working as a slot, as an H-back. He is not with the running backs right now. Marcus Crowley is a guy who was uh, the Gatorade Player of the Year in Florida. He wasn't super high in the recruiting rankings, but Ohio State liked him a lot. People who are voting this are voting like, it's like half a Master Teague vote of like, hey, maybe, maybe he's better than Master Teague, but even if Master Teague is good, we need Marcus Crowley. People, I think, are assuming, and Steel Chambers, I thought, you know, Steel Chambers running over pads and doing little zigzag cuts in the drill looks fine, but I think most fans are assuming that Marcus Crowley is going to be, at the at the least, the number two tailback, and depending what Master Teague does, this is the second option. If you're worried about Master Teague and you think, I don't know about that, then who else are you looking at? You're looking at Marcus Crowley. That's why he's on this list. Was he on your list? I- this may be a technicality. I didn't put him on the list because I don't think he's going to play this spring. You asked for the 10 most important players of the spring. So, technicality. Obviously, he's huge for the fall. But for the spring, he's kind of a non-entity. Yeah, no, he's still hurt, so he didn't make my list. All right, number the other guy tied for ninth is Garrett Wilson. 
Um, did Garrett Wilson make your lists? No, because the we argument we kind of started this podcast with. Did yeah, he make so your list? I, I, no. I understand why like you would say like I'm, I'm not. Like, what I understand. You, okay. What do you think? What is Garrett Wilson's ceiling playing in the slot as a sophomore in this offense? If he has the best year he can have, given the opportunity that we see for him and the talent that we believe he has, what's that ceiling? He's a thousand-yard receiver, and like we're discussing whether or not he's a finalist for like being the best wide receiver in the country. That's his ceiling. I mean, I, again, I don't necessarily look at it yet in terms of production. We're talking about things in the spring. And for the spring, I know that Garrett Wilson knows how to play football. I know that he knows how to catch passes. I know that he has talents that are different than what K.J. Hill has and brings potentially a different dynamic to that position that I don't think you necessarily need to to see it to know that that's a really intriguing thing. He's never played slot before, and now he's playing slot. And Ryan Day is, like, excited about it. And you said 1,000-yard receiver, and, and I know you don't necessarily mean a 1,000 yards. Yeah. But I will say there were 41, 42 guys who had at least a 1,000 yards receiving in oh, major college football oh, yeah, last year. Okay. Okay. Um, 1,000's a lot. No, it's not. My, no, it's not, not. not. I think it is. for In this offense, I think it's a lot. So I mean, To have that much wait, go no. to one guy? Harris had the thousand in 2018. So um, this is going to be good. We're going to argue on this there, podcast. We we view things, and I think the point that you're making is like if your if your list is more about what's happening this spring, you know, I, I get that. It's like, but also like I thought of more of it about like what's happening this spring that will affect the season. That like, you know, so so there's some season stuff here, and I get why people have Marcus Crowley on the list, but the idea of like, well, he's hurt, he can't do anything this spring. I didn't even think about him. I think makes sense too. I tweeted, I, I texted this out to the tech subscribers yesterday as I was driving to Cleveland, and I just I pulled over, but I was just thinking about it. I just I thought about once we saw Garrett Wilson playing in the slot yesterday. I thought about it all day. I I, I thought I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I thought this was a great comparison, and some of the texters were like, what? I don't get it. To me, the evolution of the slot receiver at Ohio State in recent years, I tried to compare it to the evolution of quarterback at Ohio State in recent years. And this was my comparison. And Paris Campbell and K.J. Hill were great in very different ways in that role. Paris Campbell was pure speed. You throw him a two-yard pass and see if he can take it 80 yards. K.J. Hill was a reliable third-down guy who had a little sizzle, but mostly was about hands, right? He didn't go to the combine and run a 4-4. Paris Campbell went to the combine and set the track on fire, right? They're, <laughs> Turned himself into a second-round draft. They're very different players who were very successful in their own way at the same position, okay? But I compared Paris Campbell to Braxton Miller, comparing it – H-back evolution to quarterback evolution. Paris Campbell is Braxton Miller. Like, just pure explosiveness, right? Paris had some hands questions, right? Braxton wasn't the greatest thrower in the world, but my gosh, they scared you. Paris Campbell is Braxton Miller. K.J. Hill is J.T. Barrett. Super solid. Super reliable. Top end? Maybe not the same top end, right? I mean, J.T.'s top end wasn't Braxton's top end, but down after down. Win. Tough. Rely. K.J. is the J.T. Barrett. J.T. set every quarterback record in the book. K.J. Hill is Ohio State's all-time leading receiver. Not because he's the best receiver in Ohio State history. He broke every record. Garrett Wilson is Justin Fields. Justin Fields is the next evolution beyond that. Justin Fields is 
as explosive as Braxton Miller, but as reliable and tough as JT Barrett. Think about what what Justin Fields, how people at Ohio State fans, the way they think about Justin Fields compared to the way they thought about Braxton or JT. Justin is next level. He's the next step. He's the combination of all those things. That's what I think Garrett Wilson can be in the slot. And that's why I am freaking out. I did not expect to see him in the slot on Monday. And when I asked Ryan Day about it, his answer, some, some of the spring answer is it's the first day of practice, whatever. whatever. Yeah. That was not his answer about Garrett Wilson. His answer was quickness in the middle of the field. You get him the ball and he can take off. You can still run some – people are running slot fades like crazy right now. You take that slot, get a matchup you like, and you send that guy down the field. Do you see – did K.J. Hill catch anything 40 yards down no. the field out of the slot last year? That's where I am on Garrett Wilson. So he is on my list. He is third on my list. Now, his floor, I think I agree with the idea of like, well, his, his floor is pretty high. But – what if he has 1,350 yards receiving this year? K.J. Hill was Ohio State's leading receiver two of the last three years out of the slot. That slot spot is the guy who gets the ball the most. And they just put in this receiver room of explosiveness, they just put the most explosive guy who's not a freshman like most of these other guys. They put him in the slot. And they said, we're going to blow up the middle of the field. I think this could be gigantic. And I can't. But also, if you just assume it, he's never played the position before. So I think he is a huge wild card. With a, The floor is still pretty high. But if he's just good there versus he's an impossible matchup every game, that's a huge difference for this offense. Well, what's your definition of just good? Like he has 700 yards receiving and like he's reliable. So like 57 like catches for 636 so yards and 10 no touchdowns? No. no like exactly no what K.J. Like Hill did that, last year? No, that's what he's saying that it's a lot more explosive, but yet it's still the well, same. I don't think that you can automatically assume that a true sophomore moving to this position for the first time is going to have as good of a season as K.J. Hill, who retired as the all-time leading right. receiver as a fifth-year senior. I don't think it's an automatic assumption that Garrett Wilson will at least be as good as K.J. Hill. I don't necessarily think that either, but I also think that what you're talking about in terms of the position switch, we know how talented Garrett Wilson is. You saw it. We saw it last year on the field. It was inconsistent, but as it will be for a freshman, we also saw the top-end flashes of that. We also saw the look in Ryan Day's face when he was talking about this yesterday. If we had come in on August whatever, and we all of a sudden find out that for the first time ever Garrett Wilson's moving to slot, that's one thing. Going there on March 2nd, he's got six months to work into that position with the inherent with the talents that we know he brings to the football field it, this just becomes a semantic thing because obviously everything you're saying is correct if he has one of those if he takes that next leap at this position with what Ohio State can put on the edge along with him yes that's a thing to freak out about I just think again how I how I looked at this exercise I still see I still just have so much confidence in his his bottom line even though he's never done it he's only flashed it it, it it yes he's he has flashed it but I mean I also don't know that I make a huge um make a huge deal out of moving from the outside to the slot. Where does he on, is he on your list? Steven? He's not on my list. No. All right. But again, I think some of this is just how we look at the exercise. I don't no, think it's essentially yeah. disagreeing with the points you're making. 
He had 30 catches for 432 yards last year. Um, Sharing reps on the outside. Right. And now moving inside and potentially starting at the slot. Now you start talking about can he double those receptions and what does he do with 60 receptions? I think you I think you're right. I think he does more than what KJ Hill can do with 30 60 receptions. That's not a slight on KJ Hill. We looked at it differently. You got I mean the idea I think it's a little unfair to just be like, well, of course Garrett Wilson's going to be awesome. It's like, well, why what I mean but I don't, I don't know that guys across the board who like never quite I guess, get all the way there. Again, this becomes a I I I think Garrett Wilson's going to be Garrett Wilson. I think he's going to. I, I just. I have a baked-in natural progression that I see in him from what he flashed as a freshman yeah. to the these to what will be. I think a more solid. Yeah. We have to make some assumptions as we're putting these lists that, together. That's and I we're have looking at this differently. We've are like you're expecting like a certain level just when you hear the name Garrett, regardless of where it is. You're just based on what you already seen. You're expecting at least that. While like you're not wrong to say he's never played the salt before, so like this is a whole different world. But when you've already kind of seen, at least an ex- you have an expectation of what like it might look like, it's easier to keep him off the list. Is your expectation that he'll be an All-American? I, get, I think that is very dependent on the volume that goes to any one person. We know how much stats play a role in that, and I don't know exactly how the passes are going to distribute in this offense. Think, it's not crazy for me, though. I think he, he could be at all. It's, it's within the realm of possibility. He's, if he's going to move into the slot and play, play the position that's going to get the ball the most with that type of explosiveness that he has, it's not crazy that he could be an All-American. All right. Eighth on the list is Zach Harrison. Defensive end. Adam seventh. Oh, my. Steven, you had him seventh on your list. Did you yeah. have Zach Harrison on your list, Nathan? I, I did not. I don't like your list. So <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. It's like, well, I put Gavin Cup on my list because the third string left guard is really important. Um, I did not have Zach Harrison on my list. I have another defensive end on my list. And I do. It, so do it, I. It's, it's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of this. It's like, the the important position and who's going to do it and who's going to be the guy. I Wait, did you say Zach Harrison wasn't on your list? He's not on my okay, list. Okay, then why are you... Because he's got... Why are you getting on me for that? I don't think Zach Harrison is going to be an All-American. Right, so? Next year or in Next general? year. Okay. So I think, I think Garrett Wilson giving his position um, and what he could do given the circumstance around him, his... Elite, elite, high ceiling is higher right now than Zach Harrison's is. And also, I think in the great big mix of – we ran through the list. There's like six slot options, right? Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, Najigba, Mookie Cooper, Jalen Gill, C.J. Saunders, and Demario McCall. I think like Garrett Wilson's ability – right now in 2020 is significantly higher than all those guys that if he is an All-American, that makes a huge deal. I think there's just, when we watch defensive end on Monday, there's so many guys in there that it's like, of course, you know, yes, Zach Harrison could make a huge impact, but also it's like Tyler Friday, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Jonathan Cooper, Tyreek Smith. Like there's so many moving parts that on the list of importance to me, if Garrett Wilson isn't awesome, or if for some reason Garrett Wilson is just a guy who's in a rotation, the other people around him, I don't think anybody else is going to be an All-American candidate. If Zach Harrison is just okay, I feel like there's enough other moving parts at defensive end that there's not as much on Zach Harrison. And then I do have a different guy on my list that you guys both have on your list too, but that's why I was a little 
the depth there, I'm, I don't know how to read the depth there. But I, but I want to bring this up because I want to have this defensive end discussion, and then you guys can talk about Zach. Chase Young, and we referenced the 11 Warriors snap count, that they keep track of all the snaps for all the guys all year, and we love them for doing that. Thank you, 11 Warriors. Chase Young had 577 snaps last year. He had 16.5 sacks, and Chase was making this point at the NFL Combine. Obviously, there's more to life than sacks. QB pressures and how you affect the game and how you force an offense to game plan for you, it's a shorthand. We don't have time to watch all the film right now Mm -hmm. and do everything. It's a shorthand. And we understand that. So, Chase Young, 577 snaps, 16.5 sacks, okay? Last year, Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, Javante Jean-Baptiste, and Jonathan Cooper, okay? They played 1,069 snaps. So, combined, they played double Chase's snaps, basically, as a group, right? These are all the guys who were the opposite defensive end who then yeah. also played more than two games Chase was suspended and also played in some blowouts. They had 11 sacks total. So in twice as many snaps, they had five fewer, five and a half fewer sacks than Chase. Does that number surprise you? No, no. no. Uh, partially only, though, because I remember talking to, I did a story last year on the three fifth-year interior defensive linemen about, hey, isn't it supposed to be easier to like get sacks because of Chase Young? And they said, yeah, except for the fact that sometimes you get through there and you're about to go sack the guy and Chase already has him on the ground. Like You're talking about just an elite talent. Some of it is not it's, – it's, it's a guy who was just born to go sack the quarterback. I think the, the, the individual parts might be greater than the sum with pass rushing because of that point that you just said right there. It's great to have well, – obviously, yeah, the, the depth is great, but, like, somebody's got to be, like – somebody has to set, a, set the tone there. And, like, Chase obviously did that last year. They did their best to try to take advantage of whatever double teams he was getting to try to get sacks as well. But somebody has to draw that or the line, defensive line – I mean, the offensive line's not going to have – it's going to have an easy day. So, like, no. so, you're saying you're better off having four elite guys and four egg guys than a bunch of good guys. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, Doug. I, yes. Somebody on that defensive line has, and like no, like Zach doesn't have to be like the best Zach Harrison the Ohio State football is going to get. That's year three for him, which is why there's another defensive end on my list that like maybe does need to be that, but he does need to at least like be heading in that direction. And I don't know if like his freshman year it looked like he was headed in that direction. So, but I think we did have it, and I don't exactly buy the like. Well, the reason we don't get any sacks is because the other guy. Not not the reason they get no sacks, but they say it is. No, they're not. I mean, I not not none. He's taking all my sacks from me. That's that's not the point I make. That was that was I was illustrating. It was just to illustrate the dominance that Chase Young is, but was. I mean, I thought last year the idea of like, oh, well, you know, if you if you double team Chase Young, then these other guys. No, I never thought that was a thing, and so. Like I, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with these defensive ends. But you guys did have Zach Harrison on your list. No, you did not. I did. I had him at seven. You had him at seven. Yeah. So Zach Harrison is certainly in that mix, right? And that's important. But do you guys feel like you have a handle on how this defensive end thing is going to shake down, or does it feel pretty up in the air to you? I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for Stephen, but I would say, I guess you could, you could make the argument the same way you were making the argument about Garrett Wilson. He flashed a lot as a freshman. We know that there's something there. If he makes the jump, if he makes that jump up to what 
Chase Young kind of did as a sophomore, where he wasn't an All-American yet, but he was getting whatever it was, nine sacks, ten sacks, whatever it was, just making that much of a jump changes this defense. No, I, I mean, yeah. Somebody making that jump. Somebody making that jump. All right, that was number eight on our list. Number seven from the Texters was Sean Wade. And this is probably the most of like, again, if you... If Sean Wade wasn't changing position, I don't know that anybody would vote for him, right? And so he's trying to fill the Okuda role. Ryan Day said yesterday he thinks Sean Wade's going to be the best cornerback in the country. So, again, I didn't have Sean Wade on my list because I think his floor is – he's either going to be all Big Ten at the worst or he's going to be an All-American at the best. So even though he's changing position, I get why people vote for him. I did not. Was he on your list? No, he wasn't. He wasn't on my list, but I guess you could make the argument that if he is not all Big Ten, that potentially spells serious problems for this defense. Either he didn't play up to a certain level or he he wasn't able to play for a stretch. That's saying, like, he's not bare minimum, basically. Like, that bare minimum, he's an all Big Ten cornerback. So, like... Unless for some reason he's just not bare minimum, I think he'll be okay. Like the idea that like the transition to the outside like goes terribly. Yeah. Which is like I mean I, I don't, you could say that yeah. well, what if Justin Fields regresses? It's like, well, nothing about him would suggest that at right. all. It's the same. Right. There's like a five percent thing with Sean Wade that you're like, Well, you know, I mean again, I get it. It should and, be because one thing is it's like his whole life is changing. To be the slot guy against these smaller little fast guys that can run two kinds of routes and you're going in and out and you have to be able to – versus I'm locking down a first-round receiver, a big guy who's going to go up. I mm-hmm. can't let him make plays over me. What he's going to do on a down-to-down basis is going to change a somewhat significant amount. So, that, again, that, that just makes it Davis – if you were making Wyatt Davis a tackle – you know, we'd be saying, hey, that's a big deal. This is kind of a big deal for Sean Wade. I think he can do it, but I get the question mark. That's fair, but I also think that the difference is it's not something that's being like thrust upon him. I mean, it is something the team needs, but he came back here because he wants that. He came back here because he wants to be that guy on the outside, on the island, proving oh, he can sure. do that job. So that changes, I think, that factor that into how much of a, a potential challenge it is for him. It doesn't, it doesn't guarantee no. that he'll no. be all-American no. level at it. But, yeah. no. but again, it's, I think we've talked about this before, Stephen. It's like the idea of, you know, a big guy comes back and says, I want to play the four. I don't want to be a five. I yeah. want to shoot outside. And it's like, well, we know you're good at one thing. Are we 100% you're sure you'll be good at the other thing? We've seen yeah. guys have issues with that. I don't think Sean will have an issue, but I get that vote. I get the vote from the texters. Number six is Tyreek Johnson. Tyreek Johnson is this guy who was in the mix. At corner, he's a former five-star recruit. He was a first-team outside corner at practice on a Monday, but because Sean Wade was out and Cam Brown was out. So it feels like at the moment, Tyreek Johnson is the fourth outside corner with Sean Wade, Cam Brown, and Seven Banks if Marcus Williamson's in the slot, right? If Cam Brown or somebody, one of those top three, moves inside – then Tyreek Johnson might end up being your your number three outside corner, and then we get into this whole thing: is is Kerry Combs going to rotate and all this stuff? But he is not on my list because I don't think he's going to start, and I don't think they same. need him to start. I, I that's same. same. I had a like. There's a like. I had the uh, camera. I didn't like. No, I don't think Tyreek Johnson's going to be the starter. So like his importance. Again, I think I was partially influenced by what I saw yesterday. When you watch, if you compare what Seven Banks was doing 
yesterday to what Tyree Johnson was doing. Again, yeah. just one practice, whatever. One of them looks so much smoother, so much more ready for the moment, so much physically ready than the other one. Um, there was a moment, we'll talk, we have some, there's a Tyreek Johnson question on the list of questions we have. Um, maybe Kerry Combs can help him. That's, I'm very curious about that. Coaches make a difference. And Kerry Combs' style of coaching, to me, might be able to pull something out of Tyreek Johnson that hasn't happened yet. But we'll get into more of that later. Number five uh, for the Texters is Baron Browning. Now, Baron Browning was another guy who was not out there at practice on day one, but he will be out there soon. That was not a, a major thing. Did he Adam make your eight. list? He was at eight for me. Number seven for me. First time I agree. He's <laughs> first, also my first seven, appearance. Number seven for me. Um, I did like a version of a list like this for the Texers last week. Um, he was it was like most intriguing or most interesting or something. Baron Browning was higher on my list until it looked like Pete Werner is playing the, the role position. That I thought he was going to play. Yeah. So then it makes me think, yeah. well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that Baron Browning's not going to have a role. But like, but he also Baron, didn't practice. So. He didn't practice, but also Pete Werner, yeah, you're right. And it's like the way they were running it yesterday when they had a three-linebacker look, it was like Borland in the middle, Werner more at the will spot that Malik Harrison played last year, yeah. and Justin Hilliard at that bullet whatever position that Werner played, a Sam a linebacker. You're not going to put Hilliard at the Malik Harrison spot, no. right? So if those are the three guys you're playing with the ones, because Browning is hurt, well, then you have to play Warner at weak side. We don't know. He was also with the inside linebackers in the drills. He was mm-hmm. not with the outside bullet guys, whatever. So that's a, that's, a, that's a difference, too. It feels like they're tinkering, but if that's where Pete Werner is, then I think it lessens the Browning impact. Well, yeah, because I, I, I similarly, I don't see Browning as someone I'm putting it the uh, at Sam, so I mean you're, you're assuming he if Werner's your starter and you're just letting him roll at will, that means he's sharing Mike with with Tough Borland again, right? Uh, I yeah, am just, maybe sharing Will with Pete Werner, but he's maybe, not he's yeah. not a starter. Yeah. I am going to assume that because he wasn't practicing, <clears throat> Pete Werner is in Al Washington's mind their next best option at will, and so that's what they rolled with. That, I, I think that's very that. possible. I think that's possible. I'm not assuming that. No, it's possible. It's hard. I mean, the best thing is why I was so why I get so excited about the first day of spring practice is because you go there and your assumptions are proven wrong. We talked all off season right. for two months about this and that, whatever this guy, and then it's like, oh, they lined someone else up at that spot, or they they moved this guy. So I wish we would have learned. We could have watched what they're doing with bear yeah. running. So we're gonna have the, hopefully two, maybe three open practices. The rest of the way, there's 15 practices. The spring game is the 15th. So there's only 14 actual practices. If we get to watch four of those 14, that would be awesome. So when we get – day one is awesome. But then on, if you get to watch the ninth practice or the 11th practice, you see what's changed. You see what starts right. to settle in. So I'll be curious. Baron Browning's at the top of the list of curiosity for me. Mm-hmm. And hopefully some of those guys are just healthy again and can be back out on the field. That's again, That was the toughest thing yesterday. I went into Especially it. Especially defensively where a lot yeah. of those guys were like limited or just out. Exactly. Like we had talked about like – you know, how do we want to split things up as we watch the first day of practice so we can report on it for all of you, you texters? And um, I was like, well, I think there's a lot of interesting things on defense. I really want the defense. And then half of the starting defense wasn't playing, or what we presume is a starting defense, or a third of it. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to, I, I really want to see that second practice because we just don't know from a personnel standpoint who fits where still at some really key spots. Number four on the list is Nicholas Petit Frere. 
Number four for the Texers. That's the battle at the right tackle spot. At the moment, it's between two five. It is between. It's not at the moment. It's going to come down to two five-star recruits. One, Paris Johnson's a true freshman. One, Nicholas Petit Frere is a redshirt sophomore. So Petit Frere has a two-year edge on him. Otherwise, they're like kind of the same dude. Um, and they split the first team reps when we watched on Monday. Did Nicholas Petit Frere make your list? He did not make mine. He would have been number 11 because of the same thing with Tyreek John. Like, I don't know if he's going to win that job. He's number three on my list. Let me ask you this. This guy did not make the Texers list. Did Paris Johnson make either of your lists? No. No. Okay. I put Paris Johnson Over on Nick my Petit. list instead of Nicholas Petit Frere. You had Petit Frere third on yes. Nathan. So, yes. in that, you think he's going to win the job, and you think Paris is going to win the job. Not necessarily. I, and I'll say, I had Paris sixth on my list, and here's why I put Paris down instead of Nicholas Petit Frere. Um, I, th- I am leaving open the possibility. To, the assumption is Petit Frere will win it because he's older and because he was in the battle with Brandon Bowen last year, and they said that was a close battle. Paris Johnson is important to me because he has the opportunity to be the guy that you can't keep off the field. We yeah. did, we never planned mm-hmm. this. Petit Frere's good. Right. But this stinking dude is practically Orlando Pace. There is no decision. Mm-hmm. This is the best young tackle that we have seen in 20 years on this campus. He has to play. So, like, if that happens, he's hugely important, right? And then the other way that Paris Johnson becomes important is like Nicholas Petit Frere doesn't have it. Like Petit Frere sort of whatever, he just is a little bit short and we have to play the freshman, right? So it's like, I feel like Paris almost becomes more important because I could see him stealing the job and I could see him being like, dude, you're a freshman. Sorry to do this to you, but we have to play you. Whereas Nicholas Petit Frere is sort of like, well... He'll probably win it, and he'll probably be fine. Right. The but reason Paris is more interesting. So the reason I, but the way I guess I think of it, kind of the opposite way that I, Paris Johnson will be a starting tackle on this team next year. If he were to come in this year, not next. You mean in twenty twenty one? Twenty twenty one. Yeah. So if he comes in and is simply a true freshman backup as as this this for twenty twenty. Nicholas Petit Frere starts at right tackle, and then Paris Johnson takes over at left tackle. I think Ohio State is in great position still for twenty twenty one. If he comes in this year and starts at right tackle, that's and then next year moves to left tackle. Is Nicholas Petit Frere even still around? Like I feel like if you're if you if the second thing you said is right and he kind of just doesn't have it. If the if the evaluations were wrong and he wasn't the stud that everyone said and his 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 prospect ranking says and all that stuff, that creates a pretty big hole. Not just potentially a problem for 2020, but a potentially big hole for 2021. Yeah, I mean, I focused on 2020. I didn't, I didn't really think about 2020, but you're right about that. Now, Dewan Jones enters the mix. Dewan Jones is playing behind Fair, Fair Munford at left tackle. He's a second-year guy. Um, they, have, they have some people there. I think, in general, um, we agree that right tackle is important. Like, how – if we were doing a position list – the five most important positions for Ohio State to figure out. Right tackle would be on there, right? Yeah. And, like, right tackle to me is more important than left guard just because it's an edge, you know, it's on the end, you got to pass protect, yeah. whatever, all that stuff about. So um, I think it's a I, – I would be flabbergasted, like, if they don't come up with a good solution. Like, those are two – I mean, how many teams in the country have two five-star recruits battling for one position? 
this is kind of the Ohio State luxury that sometimes we all can take for granted a little bit. So, like, I wouldn't say anybody should be worried about right tackle, but, like, I'm leaving open the, the, the idea of, like, Paris Johnson being a once-in-a-generation kind of freak on the offensive line. And if he is, I mean, again, who, who, wrote, who wrote the Paris? Didn't someone write a Paris Orlando Pace thing? I did. You did. Like, again, that's crazy. It's like, oh, what if he's Orlando Pace? Oh, what if he's the best offensive lineman in twenty ever years. Touch college football, football history yeah. in the last fifty years? <laughs> right. What would that mean? But it's like he's he's the first like Ohio State recruit who you could even write a story like that and not be laughed at since I've been here. Right. Right. That's what we're talking about with this dude. So nobody is Orlando Pace, but if he is a I demand to be on the field, I'm ready right now. That's huge. But I also think that that's where, again, I think 2021 does come into this conversation because if that battle is close, like it was last year between Petit Frere and Bowen, and it comes down to almost a coin toss at the end, don't you, don't you go with the guy who has the higher ceiling over the next three years? Except that's what I thought was going to happen last year, yeah. and they didn't. Fair. <laughs> that, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, like, they went with the, like, we 100% trust Brandon Bowen. Nicholas so that makes me think that that, that, that there was a gap there. So, and to the point that like he wasn't even the first option when like one of the two right the tackles weren't available for a game. Josh Allaby was. Like, and like, the other it, reason it was I, that much, like they said it was close, but like that's not like proving that it was close when he's not even the next option when somebody goes down. The other reason I think Nicholas P. Frere is important is because. Thayer Munford has had some health issues, obviously, in the past. Whether or not Nicholas Petit Fair wins a job or not, there's a very good chance that they'll need him at some point in an important way. And it's one of those things. Like or they'll move Johnson over there and let him be right tackle. When, when we watched, you know, Dewan Jones is a backup left tackle. Dewan Johnson or Dewan Jones. I keep saying I guess Paris two, two and Dewan. Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones. Dewan Jones is a project. He's raw. He's a high ceiling guy. There. He's only in his second year. Um, it might take him another year to really get it together. So. Like you said, the the third tackle probably is, is be the, the loser of right battle. tackle, and he'll be the backup on both sides. But Dewan Jones is interesting. He didn't come anywhere close to making a list like right. this. But like interesting Buckeyes currently on the roster for like twenty twenty two, Dewan Jones would make that list for me. Mm-hmm. So just keep an eye on that. Um, Whenever you say Dewan Johnson, I picture him leaning up against like a Corvette and a white sports coat with the sleeves rolled up, like uh, Miami Vice. Oh yeah, I think it's Sonny Crockett. <laughs> Let's, let's suggest that the Ohio State social media team can get that together. Uh, number three is Teron Vincent. We've talked about Teron Vincent a lot. I put him on my list when I sent it to the texters. Uh, he's number three on the texter list. He's number four on my list. He's number eight on my list. Number one. Okay. Why is he number one on your list? Because I feel right now, of all the positions on this field, the one that we don't know that there is a potentially elite talent I guess other than running back. But on this defense, the one spot is the defensive line interior. We think that Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett, um, I mean, they were in the rotation last year. We think those guys are pretty solid players. Legitimately, I think they are. But I feel like Teron Vincent is the one that could potentially be a breakout, breakthrough, difference maker there. And especially if he's at that three technique, potentially helps the pass rush and takes the pressure off of those guys on the edge. I just see him as... Because if he can, if he's healthy, which he looked healthy yesterday, he was going through all the drills as far as I saw. He was technically listed as limited. He wasn't running with the ones, but I saw him hitting the blocking sleds and everything, and he looked okay. If he's healthy, if he can play a full complement, and then if over the course of the season, because he's got, again, six months to get ready for the year, but if he's ready to go and can really pop 
this fall, I think it changes what this defense can be. You had him what number? Four. So you're like, is that basically what you're thinking too? Yeah. You guys, some of you guys had mentioned. We are in accordance here while you're just like. The idea of what you saw Monday sort of affected your view a little bit, which it should. That's the whole point. We finally got to see something. It affected my view. I, we've been talking about Teron Vincent. I think he might have been number He was number three on my list, I think. Mm-hmm. I moved him down to eight because, and this is sometimes I'm just stupid. I mean, I'm, I'm not that smart. We're with you. Yeah, Doug, get to it. We agree. Everyone agrees. Everyone listening is nodding their head. Haskell Garrett is a senior. He is part of this crazy 2017 class. Haskell Garrett was the number 68 recruit in the country. And when they lined up at practice on Monday, he was the first team three technique. And, like, if Haskell Garrett, he might just be really good. And then they're fine. And then, like... Teron Vincent is super important, except Haskell Garrett is almost was rated almost as high, is a year older, hasn't been hurt, and probably is the starting three technique. So, like, if Teron Vincent isn't ready to be great, like, they might be fine. That changed I, my view a little bit. I guess I, I don't know how much I, I put stock in, in whether or not he would be the starting three technique just based on how they lined up yesterday. Considering Vincent coming off of the injury, yeah, considering not, Garrett's a senior, I... I, I what happened? The way they line up in August on the first practice means a lot more to me than how they we're line up on not March second. Sure exactly when like Toronto Vincent returned to like football. That's true. Activity. Yeah, no, we're right. Because he was still in the robotic con- contraption at the Fiesta Bowl, which was two months ago. So that might he might just be having a little bit of an uphill climb because he could have returned to football activities three weeks ago. And it's one of those things. For instance, when they were lining up at the receiver group with the ones yesterday, Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner were with the ones at outside receiver. And that's giving the older guy the, and nobody the first thinks. Chance. That they're going to be the first team outside right. receiver. No. So, like, where where does the Garrett to- – but Togiai was the nose guard, and he's going to be the number one nose guard, yeah. right? So, I mean, like, you know, it's hard to tell. It's up to the position coach. You give a nod. You do whatever. It, it's the first day of practice. They're rotating a lot of guys. Antoine Jackson's in there. Vincent's in there. They do have multiple options inside. But I think, in my own mind, I think I probably – the whole offseason was sort of underrating Haskell Garrett and how good of a – That's that I guy, think I- that I guy's would agree. Talented, yeah. Yeah. and Vincent is sort of like this. You, you he know, was you the get, number twenty player in the country, and you get psychological. Okay. He was hurt. Like there's yeah. some of this stuff. Like Tyreek Johnson was was ranked as high as Teron Vincent in that same. Yeah, he was twenty one. But but Tyreek Johnson had an opportunity and hasn't really done anything with you. Right. Teron Vincent was hurt, so it's like when you're highly rated and you're hurt, and it's like, ooh, what could happen? So I don't disagree with anybody. I slightly backed off my importance meter on Teron Vincent because, oh yeah, Haskell Garrett's probably really good there too. But I agree with everything you said. And I also think that Vincent, being a defensive tackle, you don't have to start to still potentially make a huge impact. That's not necessarily the case at some of these other positions. They have to rotate those guys. So he, he could still be hugely important even if he doesn't beat out Garrett for a starting job. Number two for the Texters is Josh Proctor. Josh Proctor was number one for me. Number six for me. Number nine for me, Stephen. Why is he number one for you? I mean, like the the play the the play make the playmaking ability is there, but like there's been, like he did he, he was limited yesterday, so like we didn't get to see him a lot with the, the defense. But was we, he out there at all? He was um, over in the injury quarantine. Oh, no, like, okay, there was one one on one drill where he was like in his position. Yeah, they had some, they did moving, some walkthrough stuff. Even Sean Wade did some walkthrough like, stuff. Like he's clearly the starting safety, but like he didn't do anything actually with any movement at all. 
But, like, we could all assume that that's probably the guy who's going to be a starting safety. And if, like, he's, like, getting interceptions all over the place and he's, you know, the Marshawn Lattimore, the situation where, like... He's Malik Hooker. Or Malik... Or, yeah, if he's that Malik, center field safety spot. If he's literally that. Or is he what we saw against Clemson where, like, he's not able to be the security blanket and Trevor Lawrence runs for a 60-yard touchdown? I, I think that is a good explanation because it's the... He is a very... Huge ceiling, low floor. questionable floor. Yeah, because he was out there a lot and he got burned a couple times. Which is right? usually the case when you're that aggressive. Sure. Well, yeah, because I think even at his best, that's still going to be the case. It's going to be kind of the the safety equivalent of having a gunslinger quarterback a little bit. You're going to get some picks. You're going to get some awesome it's touchdowns. Like, oh shoot, he's getting ready to get the pick. Oh, he missed the ball. Oh, touchdown. Right. Sixty yard touchdown. But then oh also, but then also those moments were like, how the hell did he just pick off that pass? Yeah. You're going to get some of that mix at his best. If he's not at his best, and you're still getting that, it tilts it in a really dangerous direction. So the reason I had him a little lower that he did make my top ten, but he was only ninth, um, is because of the hooker that's actually there, which is Marcus Hooker, who was on the field as the number one deep safety I when Josh Proctor was off the field. And like Marcus Hooker, I think has some instincts. I think he was a low-rated recruit, just like his brother was. Um, it's like. You're looking for the center field safety in this defense where they only play one safety. You're looking for the next Malik Hooker. Like Josh Proctor, like, probably fits the profile better. He's a higher-ranked recruit, like the skill set and the aggression. So Marcus has the bloodline. And the other guy's related to him. <laughs> so it just, to me, again, like, who's around you, the other options, affects how I we all view some of this stuff. And to me, if it's like, if, like, Josh Proctor doesn't get it, then it's like, well, they'll play, they'll play Marcus Hooker, and they, they might be fine. And, like, so I think Josh Proctor is super important, but a one-day look at Marcus Hooker looking like he knew what he was doing mm-hmm. and being comfortable, to me, lessened my fervor about Josh Proctor. But I think we all still would assume that the Josh Proctor ceiling is probably still higher. And, like, if you told me – what was the list I said about, like, seven banks on the list of one-year starters who could be All-American? The Marshawn Lattimore watch list. Josh Proctor is on that list. Should be at the top of that list. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's like, I mean, if we made that list <laughs> – I've already it, written it down. I've already yeah, written it down. Yeah. yeah. If you make that list, I mean, you can't put 17 guys on that list. But, I mean, if you put a handful of dudes – who have not had opportunity but have that potential, Josh Proctor is there for everybody. No doubt about that. And I think, did you guys have a perception coming in of who you thought the Texters would rank number one? All right, so now we're at number one. This is a little disjointed. Master Teague was number one on the list. He was the overwhelming guy. He got 33 votes from our text friends. Um, And nobody else got more than 20. So that's how much people were in on like this guy is super important and like the super important dude had injury news break like after we recorded it and after everybody voted so we had that discussion at the top i'm curious from the discussion that we had previously about master teague how much is now that the news injury hit did his importance in your mind rise at all that you realized man i did i did think he's really important because as we said he was number one for our texters. On my list, he was number two. And on your initial list, both of you guys, he was? Not uh, not available. Not ranked. Not ranked. So now, if you went, if he was, knowing now that he's hurt 
and how you think about things now. If you could go back in time before to where he wasn't hurt and you were making your list, would you now put him on the list or would you still do it the way you did it? I put him on, but he'd be at the bottom. No, I think I, I think I still feel the same way. Okay. Which is? Which is that the Ohio State's running production this year was not going to be the result of any one guy being great. It was going to have to be a collaborative effort. It was going to have to come from how good this offensive line is, how good Justin Fields is, how good this receiving core. It was going to be about other things other than just the running backs. I don't know that it, the identity of one running back this in this collection of running backs was important. That is the reason he's so low. The reason he's on is just because bodies. Like, this human – like, it, it, we're, we're talking about spring football – like bodies, like it's it's one guy, it's one scholarship guy now. All right. So, what were you guys thinking if Master Teague was healthy? How did you think the running back carries breakdown would have gone in twenty twenty with a healthy Master Teague? So, initially, I thought that it would maybe be a somewhat reduced number, but the more I thought about it, I also think that there's going to be some situations next season where Ohio State is going to be in close games against good teams and need to rely on the. One of the strengths of the offense, which is that offensive line, which could be the best in the country, and just hammer it away at people. So I, I, as I recalibrate, I'm going to – whoever the lead tailback is should probably still be in that 18 to 20 carry a game conversation. And do you – are you like in favor if like there's a couple of decent running backs? I, I'm scarred by – 2018, and when they had two good running backs and they decided to split it. I just think it's really hard, and I know well, Nick Chubb and and Sony Michelle made it work, but um, I'm assuming that I think it's better for everybody if a lead guy wins the job and he gets more. Now, maybe you sub a guy every couple series or a guy gets hurt. I don't know. But uh, I mean, this, this a running back situation, with or without Master Teague, is uncertain. Do you think it's a good solution to try to end it end up being like a split share? The Sony Mich- the Sony Michelle Nick Chubb um, situation worked because both those guys are NFL running backs. Those guys are starting NFL running backs. Um, I don't think Ohio State has two starting NFL running backs on its roster right now, and I don't think they'll have one in the fall either. No offense to mine Williams. So I think to me it was more about. I think you're right. It's it the, the best option is if somebody emerges, even if they don't emerge to a J.K. Dobbins level, if somebody emerges and says, I'm the dude, give me the ball 20 times a game or more, I'm going to go get you those yards, you don't have anything to worry about, that's the number one best scenario. I also am leaving open the possibility, though, that this is a creative mind in Ryan Day. This is a, a an offense that just acquire a, a program that just acquires a lot of different kinds of talent. I'm just sort of leaving open the option that maybe that there is a wrinkle. There is a, you can get creative with it and replicate that kind of running game some, some other way. Part of the reason why I am not, would not commit to saying that's for sure what they should do is because we still don't really have a good grasp as to what Steel Chambers is, what Marcus Crowley is, certainly not what Mayan Williams is, even to some extent what Demario McCall is, and really even Master Teague is, whether he's healthy or not. There, there's still a lot of questions as to how different those skill sets are and whether that kind of a scenario makes sense. All right, Stephen, we recorded this previously, and you and I were fighting so much that we yeah. erased it. <laughs> I wanted. I wanted us. That was to not get, the best hour of podcasting we've done this year. I wanted us to get like the numbers so mm-hmm. we could at least understand where everybody's coming from. What's 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 your potential comparison for 
what this breakdown might be in terms of tailback carries and quarterback carries and what it might look like compared to the past. Yeah, so in 2017, J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber as the, like, switching backs, J.K. was at 13.9 carries and Mike Weber was at 8.4 carries. And then J.T. Bear being the runner that he was was at 10.4 carries. And Justin Fields last season, and, like, when we're strictly – this is just strictly carries. We're taking the sacks out of this. 7.6 carries – while J.K. Dobbins ran the ball 301 times last season. I don't think Justin Fields is going to run it 10 times a game, but to say he's at 8 or 9, and then they also throw the ball a lot more often than they did last season, I don't see a reason for why the running back splits can't be you know, 15 for the starter and then 8 or 9 for whoever the spell guy is per game. So the issue is that, like, last year they threw it significantly less than they threw it in 2018. And when they threw it a lot in 2018 and Dwayne wasn't running it that much, Mm -hmm. um, J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber combined for more than 400 carries that year. So, like, Mm -hmm. there are still a lot of tailback carries out there. So my my main point on this is, like, you can't – you can't assume like, well, the tailback's not going to be that involved because Justin can run and they're going to throw it all over the place because you still need a tailback that you can hand the ball to. And it has to be – that guy's going to get it more than 12 times a game. You yeah. have to have a guy – maybe you won't have a single guy average 20, but I don't think a world where like two guys average 10, I don't think that's realistic. Um, but I also don't think it's – I just don't think it's realistic where it's like, well, we don't – we don't really use the tailback. So I just don't want like – I don't think the discussion can be they're going to throw it a lot. Justin is a dual threat. Who cares who the running back is? Because Ryan Day is going to give it to the running back. And, it, and yeah. it, I don't think their, their leading tailback is not going to average 12 carries a game. I think, I think that's a recipe for disaster either because you're A, one-sided offensively, or B, you have two running backs who are sharing it equally. And I think we have a, a – uh, an example of like when you really try to share it, it kind of messes both guys up. So if Master Teague is not the guy, the number one tailback is really going to matter for this team. I just think it's very possible that Marcus Crowley as a number one running back will be as good as Master Teague would have been as a number one running back. So um, there's there's a lot going on with this. This podcast got a little disjointed because um, we recorded it and then we had to unrecord some things. So we're going to go now into like the next zone of stuff. So if there's a weird cut, I apologize. But we're trying to pull this all together. Master Teague was number one on our list for our tech subscribers of like the most important guy of the spring. And then as we were recording this port, this podcast, we found out he was lost for the spring. If you want to be part of something like that, and I think we're doing a better and better job on this podcast of making like the content comes out of the tech subscribers. And I know we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who don't subscribe because our tech subscriber numbers are very good, but they are not anywhere close to the number of listens that we get on this podcast. I know that you enjoy sitting here and listening and being part of it. And we don't get to everyone's questions every week, but I tallied up every single vote. We just gave you the list of what Ohio State fans think are the 10 most important guys. And if you're a tech subscriber, you had a 100% opportunity to be part of that. And that makes you not just a tech subscriber, but a friend of the podcast because you become the podcast. You wait, wait. Just, it's not just listening to us. It's influencing us. 
I know some people have complained that their questions aren't getting read. I want to say I've started kind of building a reservoir. We get some good questions each week that maybe don't fit thematically with what we end up talking about that week or whatever. I'm starting to kind of build a reservoir of the really good questions we couldn't get to because I think, again, six months before the start of the season, we're going to have some weeks where we can bring back a lot of those questions and maybe do uh, ones we didn't get to. So if you want to be this, if you want to become like that next level part of the podcast, we've made it very simple. This is like an adjustment that we did. You just text a number and then you can immediately sign up to be a subscriber. It's a 14 day free trial. We give you that chance to to try it. And if it's not for you, that's great. Then just keep listening to the podcast and we appreciate you. Um, But if you wanna become part of it, if you wanna be in the podcast, here's the number, write this down, 614-350-3315. 614-350-3315. Just text that number and It'll start the process, which is very quick, very easy. You get signed up, you try it for two weeks. If you like it, you pay $3.99 a month. And if you don't like it, you unsubscribe and then you just listen. But it's not just about being a tech subscriber, it's about becoming part of Buckeye Talk. Not just in your car, on the treadmill, mowing the lawn, listening to us. You become part of what we do, 614-350. 3315. We'll be back after this with questions from those friends of the podcast on Buckeye Talk. All right, late night executive decision at play here. This podcast was so long, I am having trouble editing it together because it would be three hours and my computer basically is having trouble handling the size of it. Um, So... I am breaking this week's Buckeye Talk into two parts. This chunk was the full discussion about the top 10 list, and the next chunk is going to be a separate podcast right up next in your feed, and that's going to be all the tech subscriber friend of the pod questions. So it shouldn't make it any harder to listen to, but it's going to make it a little easier for me to process because it's like super late, people. And I cannot get this thing to work. So I don't think down the road we'll plan on breaking every week's podcast into two. But maybe if this works, I don't know. I'm not trying to like scam you or anything. I'm just trying to get this thing to work um, without my computer exploding. So to repeat, this was a little bit of a whacked out podcast because news broke in the middle of it. Thanks for listening to this. Coming up next in your feed is part two of the same kind of discussion, but it is the tech subscriber question. So make sure you listen to that. But for now, eek, for Nathan Baird and Doug Maurice. No, I'm Doug Maurice. Gosh, it's late. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was part one of Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.